You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Hey, good Thursday afternoon, Packer fans. How you doing? My name is Clayton. Welcome to Packers Total Access. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. I just want to say that today's show is brought to you by Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry, or FGR. They were birthed out of the burden to help those in our community and congregations who come out of a difficult past or an addictive lifestyle. Um, and we are giving away a Paul Horning autographed jersey, uh, courtesy of uh, Fertile Ground Ranch uh, Discipleship Ministry. And if you want to enter yourself into that contest, all you got to do is go to my Twitter page, at Packers underscore access. You will see a tweet pinned at the top of the page. Um, if you'll just retweet that tweet, make sure you're following the account. That will get you entered in the contest one time. Um, now, if you'd like to enter yourself into the contest multiple times and you want to donate to a good cause, you will also notice a tweet attached to that tweet that has a link where you can donate to Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. For every $5 you donate, we'll enter you into the contest one additional time. And, of course, we just gave away the autographed Quay Walker jersey to Aaron Nelson, and he did that very thing. He uh, he donated and entered himself into the contest multiple, multiple times, and it really does give you an opportunity, a better opportunity to win uh, those specific uh, giveaways. So, again, autographed, Palm Green, um, Beckett-style Paul Horning, uh, Jersey, really, really cool piece of memorabilia. And uh, yeah, we'll ship it right to your front door. So just make sure you get yourself entered into that contest. Now, let's do this. Today, um, you know, obviously, I just want to say happy Thanksgiving for those of you who's listening to this pod as soon as it dropped. If you're waiting until Friday, hope you had an awesome holiday. And uh, we wanted to bring you a little bit of content um, over the, uh, the holiday stretch here. I want to kind of back up a little bit and say, all right, what, what are the problems? with the Green Bay Packers, right? And and most of you are saying, hey, pick one, right? <laughs> There's a lot of things going on. Um, it's funny. I, I've been listening to a lot of uh, New England Patriot sports talk. And the reason I do that is because I like to follow along with Belichick. And, you know, you've got a guy, I mean, he's, he's probably going to finish his career um, with the most wins of any head coach in the history of the game. I mean, you know, most people would, would say whether he does or doesn't, Given the championships, he's the greatest coach in the history of the NFL. Um, I, I don't really understand the 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 fans that are just like, oh, I hate Belichick. I, you know, I, I hope he retires. I hope he, you know, whatever. It's okay to root against them when the Packers play him, right? But for me, it's like this is like when I was a kid and I got to watch Michael Jordan play. And some of you guys are going, man, I thought you hated basketball. I hate today's basketball. You got to understand. I grew up. And, and here I am, I'm, I'm the get-off-my-lawn guy now, right? <laughs> I grew up uh, watching basketball in the early 90s, okay, really throughout the entire 90s. But I got into it real heavy there in the early 90s when the Bulls were real big, right? And Michael Jordan was just everything in basketball. But along with that, you had some big-bodied, uh, you know, physical players. And it's what I loved about the game. And anytime we played basketball down at the uh, park below my parents' house or, you know, when we were, you know, in recess at school or, or whatever, um, that's how we played the game. We 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 played very physical. You know, I grew up watching the highlights of Bill Lambeer. I watched Charles Barkley bang bodies with people and, and Carl Malone and 
all of these guys. You know, Shaquille O'Neal in his prime, Michael Jordan getting physical, him and Isaiah Thomas about getting into a fight every every time. That I, I kind of thrived on that. I love the physicality of the game of basketball. But then as you get, you know, into today's game and you got people flopping around and and you know just being dramatic and you're not allowed to touch each other. Now you could take five steps on your way to the basket. I just lost complete interest in it a, a long time ago, but. Um, you know, I, I just I, I bring that up because I loved watching Jordan because we knew there was not probably not going to be another Jordan, right? And some of you may say LeBron is. Some of you may be, may have said the the late great Kobe Bryant was. I think Kobe was the closest thing to it. If he wasn't it, you know, um, but you have an opportunity to watch greatness like Michael Jordan, you know, like a you know insert a baseball player's name. You know, like right now Aaron Judge is kind of that guy. You know, he just hit sixty two home runs and he wasn't on roids. A lot of people are saying, okay, he's the true home run champion. I'm not saying I necessarily agree with that, but I can understand how people would think like that, right? And that's coming from a Yankee fan. But anytime you get a chance to watch something special in sports, I really want to key in on it, and I don't want to look back and go, man, I wish I'd paid better attention to that. It's one of the reasons why I like Aaron Rodgers Tuesday. You know, a lot of people don't like it. And, you know, I put a tweet out, I'm like, if you don't like it, why are you watching it? I don't understand. Like, there's a lot of things on TV I don't like watching. I can't stand ESPN. I despise ESPN. I hate all the – hot take shows in the morning and how it's all just it used to just be highlights you could wake up in the morning in one hour whether you're getting ready for school or getting ready for work and you could see everything that happened in the world of sports in one hour and now it's turned into just drama right i mean absolute drama so um i can't i can't stand watching that stuff for that very reason but when you get an opportunity to to key in on someone who's great at what they do right? The best at what they do. I really want to pay attention to it. And I mentioned in the chat, the discord chat for Packernet podcast that, uh, I was listening to that sports talk show, kind of keeping up with what the Patriots are doing and what's going on there. You know, they just beat the jets on Sunday, 10 to seven guys, 10 to seven. And they won with a punt return touchdown with like five seconds left in the game, <laughs> right? At zero offense. Well, this past off season, they switched their offensive scheme to the Shanahan wide zone boot. Now, when I say Shanahan wide zone boot, um, you got to understand there's a lot of different variations of it. There's a lot of these younger coaches are creating hybrid versions of it, right? And a lot of people don't want to hear this, but those hybrid versions include a lot of shotgun sets, okay? Um, it, it's not necessarily completely under center. Now, the 49ers do the closest thing to Shanahan's offense than what it originally was, um, which, you know, Obviously, he's the head coach there still. It's, it makes the most sense, right? Um, the, the next, the closest thing would be the Dolphins, right? But the rest of these teams that, that come from the Shanahan tree, they don't run uh, under center plays quite like uh, the 49ers and the Dolphins have, right? And, and there's some teams that are having success, but you got to understand why they're having success. You know, Matt LaFleur's version of this system has always been more of the L.A. Rams version, the Sean McVay version. You guys may or may not know Kyle Shanahan, uh, I believe, was the offensive coordinator in Washington when his dad was the head coach. Sean McVay worked under Shanahan. Um, Matt LaFleur worked under him. All these guys that have head coaching jobs, for the most part, were there and along the way were picked up if they weren't in Washington with them. But when they split, when Shanahan goes to San Francisco, and McVay goes to the L.A. Rams, <clears throat> what you have is two different versions of this offense. You know, 
the Rams were in 11 personnel more than any other team in 2021. Um, the 49ers were in 11 personnel less than any other team in 2021, if I remember correctly. You could see the difference in philosophy. You know, Shan Shanahan wants to attack with the 21 sets and the 12 sets and the top formations and a whole lot of pre-snap motion and run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, right? Sean McVay wanted to come from the 11 personnel aspect of let's spread it out a bit, right? Still use some pre-snap motion, still use the same terminology, still use the same philosophies, but we want to approach, approach it in a different way where we're going to kind of air it out more, right? And, and that's why he needed Matt Stafford, and that's why they won the Super Bowl. Now, why are they struggling this year? A little bit it has to do with injury. They really There's a lot of parallels between the Rams and the Packers. And what I wanted to do on this episode is kind of lay out what teams are having success with that run the Shanahan-style system, right, from the Shanahan tree. And then we're going to talk about the top offenses and the top defenses because the majority of the conversation I'm seeing on Twitter and across social media and, and even in YouTube videos is fire Joe Barry, fire Joe Barry. That's the one constant that I keep seeing. We need to fire Joe Barry. And it got me thinking, like, okay, if we're going to fire Joe Barry, who are we replacing him with? Right? What defenses are actually having success? So that's what we want to kind of dig into in the same thing on offense. So we're going to begin on offense. But, uh, again, back to what I, the point I was making about Belichick is I pointed out in the chat here. I'm going to try to find it. This is what was said on that sports talk show, and I got the quotes here. Quote, your offensive line can't handle the additional strain of passing out of these compact formations. That's what the host said. This offensive line isn't good enough to handle the strain that comes with running compact formation. And this, I said this, this isn't a I told you so moment, okay? And this doesn't really confirm or deny anything. This is just another man's opinion. But I'm listening to that show, and I'm like, oh, my God, man, it's exactly what I'm seeing on tape. It's exactly what I've been saying in the Discord chat. It's what I've been saying on Twitter. Um, what I've noticed is you're allowing the defense to, to load the box because you don't have anything spread across the field. Now, at times they have, yes. And when they run those top formations and like they tried to do early in the year in the short passing game, that's how they chose to attack through the RPO game because they were getting the hack count advantages that they wanted. And Aaron could read through the RPOs and dump it out and get players to miss. And it really thrived last year with Devontae. But the, the league has caught on. What they're doing now, guys, and Coach Hahn and I broke this down and, and he pointed it out in the uh, the helmet plunk interception where Aaron Rodgers tried to throw the football through the Detroit lineman or the the Detroit Lions linebacker's face mask right was they're 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 they know and understand now that okay once we see him pull that ball get your hands up and just get in the throwing lane because he's going to try to whistle it right by our ear right so now you've seen the Packers adjust and they've gone away from the RPO the last week right and really the the last two weeks they did so teams are adjusting, but I just wanted to point that out that, <clears throat> like they said on that show, your offensive line can't handle the additional strain of passing out of these compact formations. They have a rookie first-round pick in Cole Strange, right? They had to pull him out of the game multiple times over the last several weeks. I think he actually lost his job because he couldn't handle picking up the system. Does that sound familiar? I know Royce Newman isn't a first-round pick, but Royce Newman went from starting pretty much every game last year to – having to pull him out. Guys, the system didn't change. Royce Newman didn't get dumb all of a sudden. Royce Newman didn't forget how to block all of a sudden. He was never great, don't get me wrong. But what happened? Defenses adjusted, and they started loading the box and taking away throwing lanes and really playing snug up. And that's another thing, too. Like when you've seen Sammy running down the sideline earlier in the year, 
that play wasn't designed to go to Sammy. It was designed to be a quick shoot out to the sideline. Sammy didn't block his guy. He was going deep. Oh, by the way, he's fifth on the depth chart now. That tells you whether he's been doing things correctly or not, right? So with that being said, like the, the teams have adjusted to everything. And I know it's not – I know it's not an exciting argument or an exciting stance to sit here and say, oh, well, the teams are just better. All oh, the teams adjusted. The teams know what but that's exactly what's happening. So what does that mean for the Packers offense? It means you got to adjust. You've got to adjust with the times. You know, you guys have heard me talk about Andy Reid. Andy Reid is a – he runs a West Coast offense. Andy Reid <clears throat> came through uh, the league, obviously, with, uh, with Mike Holmgren in Green Bay, right? He was on Mike Holmgren's staff. They ran a strictly West Coast offense, right, and had a lot of success doing so. But over the years, he gets the job in Philly, has some success in Philly, changed the offense up to fit the modern-day game. He goes to Kansas City. What did he have to do? Completely reinvent his offense, still using West Coast terminology, still use the same passing concept, still using the same um, you know, approach to how you attack certain defenses and certain looks, and you got certain beaters, right? But he's adjusted with the times. If Matt Lafleur is going to be the co- going to be the coach of the future in Green Bay, he's got to learn to adjust. You can't just keep beating your head against the wall. Now, uh, another quote that was said on here was, um, "quote It's not Matt Patricia. It's not Mac Jones. It's everything." Matt Patricia's calling the plays. He's basically the the interim offensive coordinator. You guys have heard me talk about. It. I'm not going to bore you with the fact that how Bill Belichick uh, maximizes his assistance so when they try to try to get hired as an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator in another place, he can just simply promote them to those titles and they can't, you know, it, it has to be a, uh, a, it can't be a lateral move so to go to another team. But anyway, Matt Patricia's calling the plays. Mac Jones is the quarterback. Guys, last year the, the Patriots, they finished, if I remember correctly, the Patriots last year finished close to the top ten in offense, okay? They were, I think they were uh, just just a shy above uh, the top 15, if I remember right. Okay. So what happened? Actually, no, I've got it right here in PPP, right? Points per play. Now, what's points per play? I had somebody ask me an email. What's PPP? It sounds silly, right? <laughs> points per play, in my opinion, is, is the best way to determine whether an offense is successful or not. It, simply, it means exactly what it says. Points per play. Okay. How many points are you averaging? averaged out over the number of offensive plays that you have, okay? And, and why is that important? Because when you talk about scoring points per game, typically people go, oh, yeah, but they got a really good defense and they got good start and field position and they got m- multiple possessions because of turnovers and this and that. So you go, okay, well, I can kind of see that argument. Still, you want to score the most points of any team. But points per play really takes everything out. And it's, okay, with the opportunities you had, how successful were you at scoring points? Notice that also includes field goals too, right? And that's the name of the game. I think that's where a lot of these coaches have screwed up here this year is uh, is going forward on fourth down rather than taking three points. Bill Belichick takes three points every chance he gets. This past Sunday he didn't because the wind was so bad at Foxborough. I think it was like 20-mile-an-hour winds, crosswind. But he chose to uh, go for it on fourth down, got got crucified for it, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but, again, he just takes – Takes three points, takes three points, takes three points. Next thing you know, you look up and he's six and four, six and five, whatever the record is, right? I mean, he's they're pretty much going to make the playoffs with their with the rest of their record with the rest of their schedule they got coming in. They, I mean, they could miss it, but they've got a really good shot at making the playoffs. And they scored literally three offensive points on Sunday, guys. 
Now, why did they go down from fifth in points per play? They switched to the Shanahan system. They went from Belichick's system that he's ran for so long. And the beautiful thing about Belichick's offensive and defensive schemes is they are very hybridish. And what I mean by that is they adjust on the go. Again, I go back to the video of Sean McVay in the Super Bowl pregame shaking Bill Belichick's hand at the 50-yard line. And, and what did he say? He walked out to Bill and he said, my God, Coach, the way that you constantly evolve and adjust your offense to whatever the whatever you need to do this week is amazing. And Bill, of course, shrugged it off. And I, I pre- hey, good luck, Coach. Thank you for the compliment. I appreciate it. And just moved on. Because he's not set in, I'm running a, a Shanahan wide zone boot, and, and that's all I'm running. He's not set in, I'm going to run my offense, and that's it. If I come out this week, they got a weak run defense, and by George, I'm coming out in a 21 and a 22 look. I might break out some 12 spread, and I'm going to put myself in the best position to win. And our players have to be smart enough to do that. That's the way he looks at it. Well, this year, they really hammered out this Shanahan system. Guys, they dropped from fifth in points per play down to 17th. You're probably going, well, why hasn't he adjusted back? That's a great question. He's re- He sees something in this system that he really likes. But, man, it's it's just about costing him the season. And it's probably going to cost him Mac Jones. Guys, if you watch Mac Jones play, it's night and day from last year. He looks the same way that uh, Matt Stafford, before he got hurt here in the L.A. Rams offenses, looked. He looks very similar to Aaron Rodgers. Like, there are multiple plays where I look up and go, man, he really what, – what are you going to do there out of that compact set? Like, they, they had everything covered, right? Now, from a defensive standpoint, imagine you're the defensive coach. Right, and you've got to defend all this ground. You, could you imagine how much stress and pressure it takes off of you to be able to come to the line and go, oh, great, man, yeah, look, let's just snug up here on the edges. We don't even have to cover the boundary, really, and we've got everything in here tight. Guys, look, take away the throwing lanes, right? He's probably going to go to a short RPO here if we give him the right hat count, and they're baiting him, which is what Coach Hom pointed out on, on Chalk Talk, and just to tackle him. As, as soon as you see them break out in that flat route from the wide receiver position, attack it. And that's exactly what's happening, right? Now, okay, well, we've, we've tried to take deep shots and we've had drops and this and that. Yeah, it, does Aaron Rodgers look comfortable taking deep shots? Because to me, he doesn't. Now, the last few games, the offensive line's gotten better and he does look a little more comfortable. But you're also seeing um, some spread. Now, they went under center a lot last week, right? You know, I pointed out um, how much they went under center there. Uh, against Detroit, and I went through and laid it all out, and I compared it to other offenses that are supposedly run the Shanahan system, and when you look at theirs, they're in gun a lot more than Green Bay is. It got real quiet on Twitter when I mentioned that because everybody is saying Aaron Rodgers would just run Matt LaFleur's offense if he would just run Matt LaFleur's offense, and it's not true, guys. I understand that a certain amount, a very minute amount of the fan base, which is amazing, they're just so loud, it seems like there's a lot. I did the poll, and it's like – 75, 25 people actually want Aaron back. Um, but it, it's – I understand you hate the guy. I get it, okay? It, you've got the right to hate him for whatever reason. I don't hate him, <laughs> right? I, I appreciate what he's done for the organization. And I could care less if he go. this is what gets me about it, man. There's so many people screaming and shouting on Twitter. I wish he'd just stop going on the McAfee show. I wish he'd quit doing these media tours. I wish he'd just shut up. Like, why do you care? So what you're telling me is you don't want him to have the right to talk about the things he wants to talk about. Who are you, God? Like, what? Just shut up and play ball. 
okay, just shut up and play ball. So when someone signs up to play a professional sport, they're not allowed to talk about things they want to talk about. Like, first of all, let me give you this angle too. I didn't really plan on going down this route, but we're going to do it because I think it's worth mentioning. There's a certain sports talk show host that I had a run in with and had several times. He finally blocked me on Twitter because I was pointing out facts that he didn't want to hear. He's the one who called Aaron Rodgers uh, an arrogant SOB, an arrogant son of a you-know-what, right, on the air. And I called him on it because he had his little crony in the locker room right next to Aaron smiling and nodding and acting like, he, oh, you know, yeah, oh, it's great, 12, yeah. And then he'd go back and give him the information. Then this guy would bash him on his radio show. He's too chicken crap to walk into the locker room and interview himself because all he does is talk. Like, he literally called his mother a you-know-what. But he's got his little fake crony in there smiling and, and playing kissy face with Aaron Rodgers every chance they get to have media availability. It just it makes me sick. But I called him out on this stuff. It's like, why, why do you care that he goes on a talk show? Now, why did I point that guy out? On the same show, when Aaron didn't go, you know, Aaron said, hey, when we get the new contract done, I'll come on here talking about Pat McAfee. I'll come on here and, and break the news. I'll give you guys a scoop instead of the media trying to dig around and get it, right? Well, when it broke, McAfee didn't break the news, right? He was supposed to go on the show and do it. Guess what the guy did? Called Aaron out. That shows you what kind of person is. This is his buddy. This is supposed to be one of his buddies. And he he told him he was going to give him the scoop, and then he didn't follow through with it. What a friend that is. Like, oh, okay, so now you're mad he didn't go on the show, but you've been mad the entire time that he's been on the show. I'm confused. Which is it? Because you can't have it both ways. So – the tweet I put out was simple. I did it about a week ago, and I did it for this very reason. I'm going to retweet it every time that I see people complain about the McAfee show. Like, there's all kinds of TV shows on TV I don't enjoy. You know what I do? I pretend like they don't exist. Let me tell you what I don't do. I don't go on Twitter and complain about them and say they should be canceled and they shouldn't. people shouldn't have the, the right to watch it. First of all, there's more people that enjoy it than don't enjoy it. What makes your opinion so freaking important that those other people shouldn't get to watch something they want to watch? Now, come in full circle. We have a top three quarterback of all time basically agreeing to speak to the public. I don't want to say the media to have a conversation between friends recorded where you're documenting two back to back MVP seasons and now a down year where he has a broken thumb. Right. And I love that he didn't use it as an excuse. He never even came out and said it. He just said, when I broke fingers in the past, this and that, but I'm definitely not going to use it as an excuse. Isn't it amazing? The, the, the Aaron Rodgers haters, this is what they said. Well, if his thumb's broken, he needs to say something. The same people, when he says on the, on the show, you know, I've broken other fingers before. Oh, see, now he's trying to blame the thumb. Look at him playing the excuse game. This guy can't win. Like, but we've got, and all a top three quarterback of all time documenting this journey in video and audio form that we can look back on. The same as we're seeing with Bill Belichick with some of the NFL film stuff. You know how awesome it would be to have footage and have audio of Curly Lambeau day in and day out, week in and week out, his run through six championships back in the day? That would have been absolutely phenomenal. Imagine Lombardi. Imagine a camera crew interviewing Vince Lombardi once a week, and we have it at, at literally at the click of a button where we can go back and hear what Lombardi's take was on each individual game. 
You know how valuable that is? But no, no, they, not with Aaron. Why? Because he didn't get a shot? Are we serious right now? Or, or because he said we need to stop making more mental mistakes? That's what blows my mind. Like, you had Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins cussing each other out on the field, blaming each other a couple weeks ago. Nobody said a thing. Aaron Rodgers says we need to stop making mental mistakes. Well, he, he never takes blame. No. And that's another thing, too. I've got screenshot after screenshot of tweets about him being quoted, taking blame. So every time I see that, those are getting fired out, too. Right? But it's cool. I got the timeline pretty well cleaned up where the majority of those people are gone. Am I saying he's perfect? No. There's a lot of stuff he does that gets on my nerves. There's a lot of stuff that a lot of people do that get on, get on my nerves. There's a lot of stuff I do that gets on other people's nerves, I'm sure. But you know what I choose to do when somebody gets on my nerves? Pretend like they don't exist. Okay, I ain't, I ain't even going to comment on it. So the majority of it is just people wanting to argue. Um, that's what it comes down to. Man, didn't mean to get into that area, but, it, you know, it is what it is. I wanted to point out those quotes. It's not Matt Patricia. It's not Mac Jones. It's everything. That's exactly what we've been saying this year about the Packers offense. So I don't think that this offense is horrible. I think defenses have caught on and great coaches adjust. And this is Belichick's first year running this offense. You, you can bet your butt he's going to adjust. That's going to happen, right? But Matt LaFleur has got to adjust. So the whole purpose of this pod here is to talk about who's having success, who isn't. And if we are going to make a coaching change in defensive coordinator, I think Matt LaFleur is safe. Offensive coordinator, I think might be a, that might be something worth looking into. Um, and Because you've got to change. You've got to adjust. I think it would be a good idea to – it's obvious this offensive coordinator in Stinovich is not doing a good job. If you want to blame Matt LaFleur and just say Stinovich is just a pawn, okay, I get it, and try to demote him and see if he stays on the roster, put him back to offensive line coach and uh, have him help, help out down there and hire a new offensive coordinator this offseason to create a hybrid version of this offense because it's not working, guys. The, the league has caught on. So let's talk about – the teams that run the Shanahan scheme, okay? And these are all rankings according to points per play, okay? At the top of the list, number two in the NFL in points per play is the Seattle Seahawks, right? And that's Shane Waldron. Shane Waldron that came over from the L.A. Rams, right? But if you watch what the Seahawks are doing, it's it, – I, I told you guys, I was like, man, I got to see what the Seahawks are doing. This was three or four weeks ago. I broke out the tape, and I love watching the openers. The openers meaning the first offensive series because that is scripted by the offensive coordinator, the head coach, if he is the, the play caller. Those That first series is scripted by the coach. That's going to give you the truest assessment of what it is they want to do. Right Now, there's adjustments that are made throughout the game, but that opener is really important. Every NFL coach will tell you, what's the you ask, what's the most important drive of the game from an offensive standpoint? It's the opening drive. Your goal is to get ahead as quick as possible because when you're playing from ahead, the other team has to play from behind. Their gameplay changes immensely, especially when they go down by two scores. So the goal is let's score first, right? So I watched the, the opening set for the Seahawks, and it was gun empty, gun empty, gun empty. It was gun 11, 
I was going, oh, my God. This The very first play, I'm expecting to see what everybody's been screaming, that Rodgers won't run Matt LaFleur's system. This is this is Mike McCarthy's offense. This isn't Matt LaFleur's system. I'm expecting to see a top formation, a bunch of pre-snap motion and this and that. What did I see? The very first play. Done 11 empty. I was like, what is this? And they did it all game long, spreading the defense out. Did they, did they run some tight, compact sets? Absolutely, they did. Did they run some motion? Absolutely, they did. Not near as much under center or pre-snap motion than Green Bay did that same very week. So what's that tell you? <clears throat> Shane Waldron has adjusted. Shane Waldron has taken – you know, you guys have seen it. You've worked at places before, and, and it may be a successful organization or workplace, and you're down there in the trenches, right? You're, you're, you're in there doing the grunt work. And how many times you look up and go, man, if they they need to change this, he, that, that dude doesn't understand what's actually happening right here, right? Not that you know more than him, but this specific situation, man, if I was in charge, I'd do this, and that'd make this operation run a lot smoother. Whether you work in a cheese factory or you you, you do, you know, landscaping, whatever it might be, right? You're constantly thinking of ways that you can make a situation better. I guarantee you what Shane Waldron was seeing in L.A. was, man, you know what, dude? I was a head coach. I do this, this, and this just a little bit different. But he goes to Seattle, been there for several years now, I think I think two or three years now, and he's adjusted, bam, Seattle Seahawks, number two in points per play, right? Now, let's look at the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins come in at number four in points per play, right? Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's us days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us days at U.S. Cellular, exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. Ah, mm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. What, what do they do? They do a lot of pre-snap motion and a lot of 21 set, right? That's, that's a, a lot of what they run down there. They run more of the 49ers approach to this offense. So what's the difference between them and the 49ers? The 49ers are 13th in points per play. What's the difference there? I'll tell you the difference. They've got two number one receivers, two. They've got a guy that can take the top off the defense if they decide to play snug with these RPOs. And, yes, they run a lot of RPOs. I know everybody in Green Bay hates RPOs. But they're running a lot of them in Miami. When and it's not even it might not even be RPO to to the to that extent, but it's a very quick passing game. You know, everybody's bashed Aaron for he won't throw the ball down the field. He won't throw the ball down the field. But they're definitely doing that in Miami. Now, when the defense snugs up, you've got Tariq Hill that can take the freaking top off, right? And you got Jalen Waddle, who's another number one receiver. So you've got two number one receivers there, right? In Seattle, what do you have? Two number one receivers. So you've got a hybrid version of what they they uh, they were offensively uh, coaching with the 49ers and the Rams. You've got a hybrid version that's adjusted to how the NFL has adjusted to you 
and you've got two number one receivers. That's a recipe for success. You know, how did Green Bay do so well last year, right? When you look at their rankings, and I'm going to go back through this as we wrap up here in a minute, but when you look at Green Bay last year in PPP, they were .409. That was 11th best in the league. Did they have a number one receiver? Yes, they did. Okay, let's go back to 2020. .501 points per play. That was LaFleur's second year. They were first place in offense points per play. They had a number one receiver in Devontae Adams. Now, fast forward to this year, .294. They're 25th. They don't have a number one receiver. Guys, the thing that's missing from this offense is Aaron Rodgers' healthy thumb and a number one receiver because that can tilt the field and give you the, the matchups that you're looking for. Let's go on down the line here. The Falcons, right? Their, their, their coach was the tight ends coach in Tennessee when LaFleur was there, okay? And it's uh, Arthur Smith. He's worked his way up. He came from the Titans tree, right? It comes from that same coaching tree of the Shanahan system. They're sixth in PPP, right? And they do have a top receiver. So, like, when you, when you look down the list here, and I did this by PFF, they had a guy that's ranked in the 80s, okay? So they have a, a, a number one receiver, plus they have Kyle Pitts when he's healthy. They've got weapons there. Maybe not as stout, obviously, as the Dolphins with Tariq Hill and Jalen Waddle or the Seattle Seahawks with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, but they do have solid number one receiver. Cincinnati Bengals come in seventh. Same system, right? It's a hybrid version. They've got Jamar Chase, number one receiver, right? Some people would say that they have two number one receivers. I'm, I'm erring on the side of caution here. I'm going to say they've got one. <clears throat> the 49ers are 13th. They've got Debo Samuel, right? They've also got IU, which some people would consider a number one quality receiver. The Bears come in 14th. So once you get out of the top 10 and you start getting into that middle of the pack, they don't have a number one receiver. The wide receivers are six. The Minnesota Vikings are sixth. And they've got Justin and they've got uh, Adam Thielen, right? They've got solid number ones. And they're finishing 16th with this system. Kevin O'Connell, coming from the L.A. Rams, who was their office coordinator last year. Um, I think the two commonalities between the Rams and the Packers is they lost – both of them lost their offensive coordinators, and I think that's huge, absolutely huge. I think that's very, very uh, underestimated when you're talking about going into a season. And for this, this day moving forward, when I bet on win totals preseason, you can bet your butt I'm looking at, did that, did that coaching staff lose their offensive coordinator or not? because it really affects them. It does. So um, on down the line, Patriots, 17th, don't have a number one receiver. Titans, 18th, don't have a number one receiver. Jets, 23rd, don't have a, a number one wide receiver. Packers, 25th, don't have a wide receiver. Rams, 27th, Cooper Cup's been injured. Matt Stafford's been injured, right? And then 32, dead last in PPP. Guess who it is, guys? The Denver Broncos. Well, who's the Denver Broncos head coach? Nathaniel Hackett, what's that tell you? If, if Nathaniel Hackett was still in Green Bay, right, and yes, they did lose their offensive coordinator, let's say he never left, I would say the Packers are in the same shape they're in. Why are they in the same shape? Because they don't have a number one receiver. Aaron Rodgers' injury is definitely playing a role, although he's still a top-ten quarterback. We can't pretend like he's playing horrible, guys. we got to stop that just because you hate the guy. And – the, the league has caught on. That's the answer. 
And that's the answer that nobody wants to hear because they just want to see all the wild pre-snap motion and all the this and that. You know, it, you know, let's go back in time like we were talking about. This is what amazes me. I just wish he would run Matt LaFleur's system. That's all you hear. I just wish he would run Matt LaFleur's system. Okay. In 2019, what did we what what did we hear the entire year, guys? The entire year, I can go back and find tweet after tweet after tweet of fans going, This is Mike McCarthy's offense. I thought we were running Matt LaFleur's offense. This is Mike McCarthy's. So they hadn't made the switch yet, right? Finished 12th in PPP, 0.373. Let's go to 2020. Same exact thing. Same exact comment that you know, this this is still this is Aaron playing hero ball. Aaron wanting to run shotgun. Aaron wanting to spread it out. 2020, 0.501 first. First in PPP. 2021, 0.409 or 11. Now, I laid it out for you, the opener, and how the Packers are playing under center, right? Now, the last two games, they've gotten away from it a bit, but they're trying to adjust, right? But 0.294. So you're telling me, that in 2019, and I, I got into this conversation with someone on Twitter, and it, it made no sense whatsoever. In 2019, when all the fans were saying, this looks like McCarthy's offense, you're telling me they were running LaFleur's offense? And in 2020 and 2021, but in 2022, when it dips, all of a sudden, they stopped running Matt LaFleur's offense? Is that what you're telling me? Because that's not what I'm seeing. I'm seeing totally the opposite. I'm seeing a hybrid version of this offense. It's what Aaron said when he came into camp. I don't think you want to unplug 15 years of, of experience of me playing quarterback and just dip right into the system, right? And just say, okay, let's just be a robot and run the system. It was a hybrid version those first three years. And now all of a sudden we're getting deep and heavy into the Matt LaFleur system and we're 25th. Granted, without a number one receiver, if, we, if Devontae Adams was still here, there would still be isolation plays happening and we would probably have a top 15, maybe a top 10 offense this year. And I have to eat crow while I say that because I didn't think we would miss him. I thought Matt LaFleur would be a better head coach without a Devontae Adams because he ha would have to scheme people open, and it has not happened. not happened at all. So, all right, let's go to top offenses across the league. I wanted to hit on this real quick. If if we're going to make an offensive change here, if we're going to bring in someone else and we decide Adam Stinovich is not the offensive coordinator of the future, okay, if we're going to do that, who are the top five offenses this year in PPP? Number one, the Kansas City Chiefs at .455. Who is the offensive coach? It's, it's the enemy, but we all know it's Andy Reid's system. Andy Reid is, you know, the, off, the great offensive mind. He's a Hall of Fame coach. He runs a West Coast hybrid offense. I'm not going to go through his coaching history, but he runs a West Coast hybrid offense. The same type of offense that Aaron Rodgers said in the interview that I told Matt LaFleur, your system is flawed. This system is flawed. There's not an answer on every play in the system. In the West Coast offense, guys, there isn't an answer on every single play. In the Matt LaFleur-style offense in this wide this uh, wide zone boot Shanahan system, you're banking on stretching the defense horizontally to make them make a mistake and open up holes. If, if they guess right, you're screwed. In a West Coast offense, with everything spread, with a spread West Coast offense, it's designed to – Put your receivers in an advantage, in an isolation advantage, where someone like Kelsey can run an option route, a choice route, and always be open. And you watch the Kansas City Chiefs, it's hard to watch from someone who loves the X's and O's because these guys are just playing backyard ball. You remember the Wasp play? 
think it was in the Super Bowl they ran, where there was a double move 35 yards down the field by Tyreek Hill, and it was it was designed in the play because it was designed in the play for what the defense showed. You watch Kelsey across the middle, everybody's going, how does he get so open every single play in a crucial moment? It's because he's running down the field. The field is spread out. The defense is completely spread out. He's isolated in a one-on-one, and he goes, Hart, it, when, when I fake right, he really bots right. Let me just go back across the middle. He's running choice routes. You can see it. And he and Pat Mahomes is just back there patting that ball, you know, the stuff that Aaron Rodgers gets crucified over, and waiting for his guy to make the move. That's the type of offense they're running. It's a West Coast hybrid offense. Let's move on to number two, Seattle Seahawks, .437. That's Shane Waldron. who came over from the L.A. Rams. It's the Shanahan wide zone boot hybrid. I already laid out for you earlier in the show. When I watch the opening sets, that does not look like a Shanahan-style offense. It's closer to McVay, but it's an even a hybrid version of the McVay offense as well. You're seeing a lot of gun empty sets, the stuff that Aaron wants to do, but he gets crucified when we do it. Now, why is it not working? In the first, in the in the uh, the second quarter of the season, the offensive line was playing like hot garbage. Aaron Rodgers broke his throwing thumb, and we didn't have a number one receiver. What else you want to know? That's the answer to me. We got to get a number one receiver, and we've got to adjust this offensive scheme. I'm not saying we won't come back to it later later on next year, right? There's going to come a time. Everything is so just like Coach Hahn talks about. Everything in the league is so cyclical that you know it's it's a copycat league. Other teams have learned how to attack the LA Rams and the Green Bay Packers, right? You either adjust or you die. It's that simple. Number three, the Buffalo Bills. They got a .432 um, PPP. Ken Dorsey is the offensive coordinator. Obviously, Ken Dorsey took over for Brian Dayball, who went to the Giants, who's had a pretty good year this year, wouldn't you say? He comes from um, Ken Dorsey and Brian Dayball. They they were brought up through the old Belichick system. Brian Dayball kind of ran Belichick's offense, which is that spread look. Here we are again. And they would incorporate 12 looks. And when they needed to run the ball, they would run a 12 personnel with Gronk and the other tight end that we won't mention, and they'd run the ball down your freaking throat, right? The 2010 Belichick offense is what the Buffalo Bills are running. When I say 2010s, from 2010 to 2020. Belichick obviously now switching to the Shanahan system, right? That's one of the things that's got me a little bit hesitant on, on the stance I've got is because Belichick sees something in it. Maybe I'm missing something. But then when you look at the results, it's like, no, man, they – they have sank from number five to number 17, they being the Patriots. Like, that's looks like a bad move right now. I, I would expect him to switch back or, or definitely try to adjust something real soon. Um, all right, so, again, the Bills, that 2010s spread gun look, right? That's what they're running. They like to they like to come out and show 12, like Greg Cosell said earlier in the year. They want to appear like they're going to run out of the 12 and run play action to keep defenses honest. They're looking to run the freaking fo- or looking to pass the freaking football and scramble with Josh Allen. The same exact thing that Pat Mahomes is doing. They're just they're I mean they're literally they've got you know Diggs and Gabriel Davis and those guys even Dawson Knox has stepped up and they've got those guys just playing backyard ball. You can see it now. It bites them in the rear end every now and again like it did in Minnesota with him throwing picks. But when you've got a smart quarterback that's willing to take the chances when they're there and throw the ball away or take a sack when you need to. And when the turnover differential, it's a totally different ball game, right? So, number four, the Miami Dolphins, .414. That's Mike McDaniel's. He came over from the San Francisco 49ers. He runs the Shanahan wide zone boot, the 49ers version, <clears throat> not the Lafleur version, not the Sean McVay version. 
This is if you watch their offense side by side with the 49ers, it is very similar. Well, why are they having all the success and the 49ers aren't? It's because they have two number one receivers and a deadly accurate quarterback, too. I will say that with a pretty quick release in Tua. Tua's getting some respect put on his name. He's in the MVP run, and I love it because everybody wrote him off, man. He's a bust. He's this. He's that. He was just an Alabama project. Ain't, ain't going to amount to nothing in the NFL. I love seeing him make those people eat crow. Same thing with the deep balls. He can't throw the deep balls. That always cracks me up. Guys, every NFL quarterback can throw a ball 60 yards. Show me the play where he needs to throw at 70. I'm sorry. With the right timing, if you could throw a ball 60 yards, you've got enough arm strength to, to play uh, football at the NFL level. Is it nice to have a, a gun like Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers? Absolutely. But, I mean, it's not a necessity. I would much rather have someone. I told you the four things that are most important to me. Let's see if I can remember them when it comes to a quarterback. It's pre-snap, pre-snap read, post-snap read, quick release, and accuracy. Those are the four things that matter playing quarterback in the NFL, in my opinion. All right, number five, the Eagles. .406, Nick Sirianni. What's he run, guys? You're not going to want to hear it. Shotgun, RPO, and read option. That's how his offense is designed. Some people call it a six-back system. Some people call it a, a lot of different things. It's basically shotgun the majority of the time. RPO, sound familiar? What Aaron wants to try to do. And read option along with it. Aaron can't run a read option. we got to get that out of our head, right? There ain't no way he's... He's way past those days of running a read option, that's for sure. Not that he ever was with the, with the arm talent he's got. So, of those top five teams offensively with PPP, guess what? Wide receivers, Chiefs, they've got two number one wide receivers. When I mean by that, two receiving targets in. Kelsey's the best tight end in the entire NFL right now. And they've got um, – God, who was the uh, – God, it's just evaded me here. Their other – their number one receiver. Oh, my goodness. Uh, is it McCall Hardman, maybe? Nicole Hardman? Anyway, they've got top receivers, right? Top pass-catching targets. The Seattle Seahawks, number two. They've got two number one wide receivers, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, right? The Bills, the number three one. They've got one number one target in Stephon Diggs. The Dolphins, they have two number one targets, right? In Jalen Waddell and uh, Tariq Hill. The Philadelphia Eagles, they've got A.J. Brown. Some people are going, A.J. Brown isn't a number one. Okay, look at his PFF. He's in the upper 80s, guys. He's grading out elite, the number one target, right? And there's others, too. That, I mean, you could say uh, Devontae Smith is a number one. I didn't put him in that category because I think he's like 75-ish on PFF, right? So the key to these offenses is they have true number one receivers. I was wrong. I was wrong this offseason thinking we could get away with it. We couldn't. We've got to get a number one receiver. We've got to. All right. Let's move on to defense because there's a lot of talk about getting rid of uh, Joe Barry. If you get rid of Joe Barry, who would you be looking to go at? Well, first of all, let me back up. Why did I mention those top five offenses? Andy Reid's, <clears throat> the Chiefs, the Seahawks, the Bills, the Dolphins, and the Eagles. Because if you want to adjust this offense, you've got to make a decision. Do we want to go closer to what Shanahan does? Or do we want to go towards the gun spread approach? Those are the two decisions that need to be made. I'm pretty sure the majority of Packer fans hearing my voice right now would want them to go to more of the, the Shanahan 49ers style. You know, obviously the, the McVay style isn't working. They won a Super Bowl last year. Defenses have caught on. You got to adjust. So you're either going to have to go full tilt to the, to the, the Shanahan run heavy 
you know, uh, 21 look type offenses, or you're going to have to go to a gun spread look if you're going to be successful right now. Okay. So with that being said, Chiefs, Seahawks, Bills, Dolphins, Eagles, you can go into the Dolphins organization and try to pluck out um, their, uh, their top assistant and bring him in as offensive coordinator. You can't hire their offensive coordinator. It can't be a lateral move, right? So you'd have to go in and get maybe their quarterback's coach, their receiver's coach, the, the brightest mind in there and say, hey, we're going to bring you in. We're going to install your system. And, and the beautiful thing about that is that um, Matt LaFleur terminology would be exactly the same. They all have the a very similar terminology, right, and a, and a similar approach to the game. All this is in the playbook. Matt's just chosen to go the L.A. Rams version rather than the 49ers version. You could do that. That's an option, right? Or you could go with more of the gun spread look. Now, with Aaron Rodgers being around longer, you know, probably coming back next year, I would imagine that's what it seemed like on the McAfee show yesterday. I know nobody doesn't want that inside information, whether Aaron's going to retire or not, which way he's leaning, but I personally do. Um, you know, he if he's going to be around, I think that more of the spread look is what would fit him. So you could go into the Chiefs organization, right? You could go into the Seahawks organization. The Seahawks organization, the terminology would be very, very similar. Maybe you could hire one of their top assistants to come in and revamp this offense. Demo uh, uh, Stenovich, back down to offensive line coach or co-offensive line coach. And understand, someone else might hire him as an offensive coordinator. I doubt it. But you could demote him, keep him in the system, let him go back to doing what he does great, and bring in another offensive coordinator. It's just what angle do you want to take? Or do you go – completely flip the script and dig into the Buffalo Bills offense, that old Belichick style from the 2010s, and bring someone like that in. It's it's worked in New York to a certain extent, right? The Buffalo Bills are firing on all cylinders with Ken Dorsey. That's an option. Or you can go you, – I would, I would say you could go into the Eagles organization and try to find an offensive mind there. But the RPO, the, the read option aspect of that offense is very, very strong. It's very – you can see it week in and week out. So I don't think that's the right way to go. So to me, it's do you want to change your philosophy? Which direction do you want to go? Do you want to go more toward what Shanahan does with the 21 looks? You got to go find you a fullback now, unless you think DeGuar is the guy. PFF suggests he isn't, but um, you'd have to go find you an H-back top, like a use check, because use check really makes that team go. It does. Um, <clears throat> all right, so let's move on to defense. If we're going to make a change from um, Joe Barry, right, what's going to be the change? Now, I want to go back in history here, right? And this is the problem with change, guys. In 2019, Green Bay's defenses, uh, defense was allowing opponent PPP, right? That's how I judge defense. 0.336 was the, uh, the opposing points per play. They were 12th best in the league. That was Mike Pettin, right? 2020, 0.385 went to 16th. That was still Mike Pettin, if I remember correctly. We bring in Joe Barry last year, 0.353. The defense finishes right where it finished last year. Now, remember last year, everybody was saying, this defense is just going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome in 2022. This is going to be an elite defense. Why did you think it was going to be elite? Like, they didn't add any pieces other than two rookies. They added two rookies, which we know are very limited on how they contribute. And... <clears throat> Like, that was going to push us into elite category? I don't understand that, right? 2022, 0.370, we dropped down to 21st. So it's gotten worse since Matt LaFleur got in Green Bay. It went from 12 to 16th 
uh, stable, stabilized off at 15th, got just a touch better, and then dropped all the way down to 21st where we sit right now. So what do you do? Do you fire Joe Barry? What I'm seeing on the tape, Coach Hahn and I pointed this out, and, and I'm not putting words into his mouth saying that he he thinks that we should keep Joe Barry. I don't even, I haven't even asked him the question, nor would I probably, because he, he doesn't like to look at things like that. He likes to break stuff down and talk about what we actually see rather than here's my opinion on the matter. But what we've seen <clears throat> was broken coverage after broken coverage. We've seen Jair Alexander trying to play hero ball and blowing a coverage. We've seen Keyshawn Nixon uh, not, not playing flat enough on that man coverage when they hit uh, Traylon Burks over the top, right? The defense did their job stopping Derrick Henry, but it was the DBs that let us down, right? And the PFF grades suggest the same thing. So is Joe Barry the problem? I don't know, man. Like, I'm paying Jair Alexander $20 million against the cap next year. He's, his cap hits $20 million, and he blows the coverage. I understand players are going to make mistakes, but I don't put that on Joe Barry. Go back to the Washington game. Game on the line. I mentioned this in the very last pod we just did. Game on the line, right? And what happens? You've got Jair Alexander, man coverage, on Terry McLaurin. You're one on their one, and he gets beat. $20 million against the cap next year, and he's getting beat. I'm sorry, man. That's that's an issue, and that's not a Joe Barry issue. But let's play along here and say that we're going to fire Joe Barry. Who are the top five defenses in the league? Let's take a look here real quick. The Dallas Cowboys. This is oppo opposing PPP, okay? Um, first of all, Green Bay, 0 0.370, 21st, right? Um, Dallas Cowboys is number one, 0.61. Who's their defensive coordinator? Dan Quinn. Kudos to Coach Mike McCarthy for hiring Dan Quinn because he got a lot of a lot of flack for it. He hired him. They came out the first year, played a lot of man coverage, which was really surprising because, uh, you know, Dan Quinn comes from the Pete Carroll tree where they run a lot of that cover, cover three sky and cover three buzz, right? And they had the, the personnel to do it, though. Um, the big thing that stands out to me with the Cowboys this year, they run a 4-3 base, and they bring a lot of five-man pressure. Five-man pressure, okay? Basically, they're forcing the offensive line to block one-on-one, -on -one and they know their guys can win. I see over and over. Now, I've heard other people say that the Packers are bringing a lot of five-man pressure. I personally don't see it. I see a lot of four-man pressure with an occasional dog blitz. And what I see is a lot of four technique out of the defensive linemen and wide nines out of the edge rushers. And for whatever reason, guys, it's not, it's not, it's not working. All right. Now, granted, you're, you're missing Rashawn Gary. I get it, but just wanted to kind of draw that contrast there. So again, Dan Quinn runs a lot of four, three, or they run a, they use a four, three base, but keep in mind, guys, that doesn't matter as much in today's NFL simply because a lot of teams, the majority of the time, as we all know, they're in 11 personnel. Therefore, the defenses are in nickel, so it's pretty much the same set anyway. you got two edge defenders, two interior defensive linemen, two linebackers covering across the middle, five DBs, right? Um, number two, Denver Broncos, .271. This is uh, – I think I'm saying his, his name right. Iero uh, Ivero is his name. Um, he comes from the Raheem Morris tree, right? Where did Raheem Morris come from? He came from Atlanta when guess who was there? Dan Quinn. So he runs a 34 version up in Denver. They said they kind of switched to a 34 front. <clears throat> so you're seeing two contrasting differences there. It's not to say that, okay, the 4-3 is better than the 3-4, at least at this point, you know, two teams in, right? So they run a 34 version, but it's Dan Quinn. Uh, Ron, it's Raheem Morris, 
right? And Dan Quinn is where this guy came from in Denver. That's that was his predecessor. Okay. Now, why did I mention Raheem Morris? Because I believe he's in LA, if I remember right. He's in, I think he's LA, it's either LA or San Francisco. And uh, Ivero coached under him when he got the defensive coordinator job with the Denver Broncos. So just keep that in mind. Okay. Uh, number three, New England Patriots, Mr. Bill Belichick, 0.275 is their PPP, opposing PPP. He runs a multiple front, guys. He runs a true hybrid. He, he'll line up in a 34 front one play and then a 43 in the next. He keeps things so jumbled up that offenses don't know what's coming, right? But the other thing he does, is he, he runs a lot of zone and man mix, you know? He, don't, he, he doesn't lean on one or the other. He a lot of times, if, if there's a, a number one receiver coming in, what he'll do is he will put a double team on their number one receiver and then put his best corner on their number two. So you basically, you definitely take the number one away, but you've got your best corner, your best talent. Like imagine if we had a number one receiver coming in and we said, we're not going to put Jair on him. We're going to put our number two and number three corners playing bracket coverage on him. And then we're going to put Jair on their number two. Jair will lock their number two down all day long, right? But the double team will take away the first read as well. Smart quarterback won't throw in the coverage. That's how he attacks. That's just one, one, uh, one thing he does specifically. But he runs a multiple front with a zone man mix, okay? He, he's just as hybrid as they come, right? The Buffalo Bills, .278. That's Leslie Frazier. Um, obviously, he uh, coaches under uh, Sean McDermott. And Sean McDermott comes from the old Jim Johnson system from the Eagles back in the day. 43 zone blitz, essentially. 43 zone blitz. That's what he runs. Okay. So there's one. Check that one off the list for 4-3. So, so far, you've got two 4-3s, one 3-4, and then a mix, right? So 4-3 is up right now. Number five, the Eagles, 0.282, Jonathan Gannon. Okay. Jonathan Gannon comes from the Matt Eberflus tree. What's the Matt Eberflus tree? He runs a 43 zone is what he runs. A lot of zone blitzing. You know, we broke that down in the offseason talking about how the Bears are going to try to attack on defense, right? So essentially, when you count those up there, you've got three defenses that run a 4-3, one that runs a 34, and one that's a mix. Kind of feels like you might want to start building your roster around a 4-3 look, although I'm not necessarily ready to give up on Barry yet, but I think it's worth mentioning. But if you're gonna if you're gonna replace Joe Barry, these are the type of teams you're gonna pluck from. You're gonna go into the Cowboys, the Broncos, the Patriots, the Bills, or the Eagles organization. Tell you what I would like to see, personally. If Joe Barry is let go, and I'm not saying he should be, I'm trying to keep my opinion of, of players and coaches out of this, right? If he is replaced, I would like to see them go into the Patriots organization and hire someone. Now, I believe Gerard Mayo is still their defensive coordinator, technically. Guess who else is in that organization, guys? Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, I, this, this gets me really excited. Stephen Belichick. Stephen Belichick is not the defensive coordinator. Matter of fact, I'm going to Google it real quick, so bear with me. It might get a little bit quiet. I'm going to try to go quick here. I want to know who the New England Patriots have listed as their defensive coordinator. It'll probably say Bill Belichick, but I'm just going to check here real quick. Let's see. All right. They haven't had an official defensive coordinator since the 2017 season. You guys remember me talking about this in the offseason? Head coach Bill Belichick's sons, Brian and Steve, will coach safeties and linebackers, respectively. Vinny Sanceri uh, takes over for the retired Ivan Fears as running backs coach, and Gerard Mayo resumes his role as the linebackers coach. 
Now, why does Bill Belichick do that? With him not having a defensive coordinator, let's say the Packers go in and say, all right, guys, we want to hire Stephen Belichick. He's the top choice. We want to hire him as our defensive coordinator. Right now, he's the, he's the safeties and linebackers coach, right? Let's say you choose Stephen over Brian and you want to bring him as your defensive coordinator. Now Belichick can block the move by promoting him to defensive coordinator. That's why he keeps that slot open. Why is there no offensive coordinator listed on the Patriots um, right now? They've got Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. They're kind of splitting the duties. Why? Because when someone comes calling, not that they will, both of those, both of those guys failed miserably, right, as head coaches. But if they come calling as a coordinator, then Belichick can just promote the guy that got called to offensive coordinator and he blocks the move. Because, again, it has to be a promoting move. It can't be a lateral move, right? So, with that being said, your choices are simple. Brian Belichick, Steve, Stephen Belichick, or Gerard Mayo as your defensive coordinator if you wanted to bring him in, right? So, whichever one of those three you choose, be prepared for Bill Belichick to promote him to defensive coordinator and give him a pay raise. It's going to happen. So, then you take the next choice, right? So I would be cool with Stephen Belichick or Gerard Mayo. Again, I'm not saying we should get rid of Joe Barry, but in my opinion, when I look at all these defenses, I want a hybrid defense, first of all. I want, I want a defense that can do what Belichick has done for so long because it's sustainable success. Now, when someone like Matt Patricia gets hired as a head coach in Detroit, we all know a head coach is not focusing on the defense primarily, right? Like, you've got to be a real grinder like a Bill Belichick to have your hands in both the offense, defense, and special teams constantly, right? But that would be my pick, man. I'm not completely sold on what the Cowboys do with Dan Quinn. Um, 43 is looking more appealing than the 34 nowadays. But for me personally, um, I would like to see them go in there and get somebody from the Belichick tree. I think that would be really cool. Because, again, they're just solid defense year in and year out. So, all right, that's it, guys. Hopefully you enjoyed this. Uh, again, what I wanted to do, the whole purpose, was to dig in and show you guys these are the teams that are having success, these are the teams that are struggling, and here's why I think they are. Not that I'm a guru and understand everything to a T. It's just my opinion on why I think they're struggling. I'm going to log this stuff away, all this information, so we can come back to it later. Again, I wanted to point out that Green Bay's offense, guys, it's 12th, 1st, 11th, and 25th. Um, I think they would probably be right around 15, but um, I think teams have caught on to the L.A. Rams, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur style of this Shanahan offense. So we've either got to switch to what Shanahan does and what Miami does, or we need to go in the opposite direction. And I'm not saying get rid of LaFleur, but we've got to adjust. And I think it's an opportunity to demote Stinovich and bring in a, a sharp young mind that can help spark this offense. I mean, it's exactly what they did in Seattle. you got Geno Smith at quarterback. And they're the second best offense according to points per play because Shane Waldron has done a great job. And they got Russell Wilson out of the way, too. Um, Russell didn't want to be there. Totally different. People try to put Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers in the same box, and it's totally different scenarios. Russell did not want to be in Seattle. Aaron wanted to be in Green Bay. Now, he, he yes, he requested a trade when they found out the San Francisco 49ers called and they felt like that Goody initiated that conversation. We know We now know that it was the 49ers that reached out and caused that whole mess. And I think it's funny that it's really, really hurt Matt LaFleur and Kyle Shanahan's friendship. Um, a lot of people don't talk about that, but you can do your own digging there. It's it's really fractured their friendship for sure. But, uh, yeah, 
So with that being said, hopefully you enjoyed this. Wanted to bring you a bunch of information just to kind of give you a state of the union from the entire league's perspective of who's good on offense, who's good on defense. Again, the top offense is the Chiefs, the Seahawks, the Bills, the Dolphins, the Eagles. The top defense is the Cowboys, the Broncos, the Patriots, the Bills, and the Eagles. You're going to see teams start to poach from those coaching staffs. As we come down the stretch, there's going to be coaches that get fired, and you're going to see interviews starting to take place within those organizations, I'm almost positive. So just want to thank everybody for taking the time to hang out with us. If you're listening to us uh, on Thursday, really uh, hope you guys have an awesome, uh, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, hug your families, man. Have a good time. Spend that time together. And uh, if you get a chance, you know, go out and help somebody else have a good Thanksgiving. Uh, if you're listening to this on Friday, hope you guys have a, a great work day getting back to uh, work. Hopefully you're not out there on the Black Friday rush and having to put a, a 73-year-old lady in a chokehold for a $200 TV. We don't we don't uh, condone that here on this podcast. So hope everybody has a great day. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. Go back, go. Just to go. Good Vader. 17 to 14. Cowboys out in front.